All right, and I'm going to have Tim come up and read our scripture reading for this evening. Okay, our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for. The laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Father God, we thank you for uh, this time again. Father, as we as we come before your word, um, God, we give you thanks um, that, uh, God, that we can um, see you, and that we can um, know uh, your character. Uh, we can know uh, the life that you have called us to, most importantly, that we can know your son, Jesus Christ, that we can see him in your word, um, that we can see uh, how he has come um, to live and to die and to reign. Um, God, and uh, as we open up your word, we, we see the life that uh, not only what he has done, but the life that he has called us to. Uh, Father, help us to apply these things to our lives as we as we study your word. Uh, Father, shine through the power of the Holy Spirit on on this text, um, and God, help us to to glean something to to take away um, something that we can use uh, to uh, to take your glory and your word um, to our community. We thank you, we praise you, we ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So again, if you're not there yet, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. And so we're starting, um, we've, we've, we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, right, about discipleship. We made the comment how, about how a couple of weeks ago, um, right after Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah, a lot of the text after that has to do with what it looks like um, to be a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay. And, um, we've seen that all through, uh, chapter nine and we continue to see that in chapter 10. Um, and so what I think happens in this passage is, is as we look, um, we see this group of people who are called the 72. Okay. The 72 disciples. Now that's kind of interesting. And, and you're, and you're, if you've got a study Bible, it may make a note about this is that in some, uh, texts, it says the 70 disciples went out. And the reason for that is, and this is just something that, that we need to be aware of that happens sometimes in the scriptures, that there's a, is what's called a textual variant there. Okay. And that there are, there is a strong tradition of, of texts that says 70 and there's a strong tradition of texts that says 72. Okay. And you say, well, which one's right? And the answer is, 
I don't know. Uh, it doesn't really matter, right? Um, it's, it's not a significant thing in terms of any sort of theological point or anything like that. It doesn't change our faith any. Um, but it is, it's, it's just one of those little interesting things that, that pops out, um, sometimes if you're, if you're looking closely and comparing different, um, different translations of scripture. Um, so the, the thing to notice though is this. Jesus has this group of followers that is beyond the 12. And again, we've talked about this a number of times how we kind of think in our heads that, that Jesus has the 12 disciples and then maybe a couple of other ladies who we see throughout the scriptures who are there with him. And, and then that's his entourage. But the reality is, is that Jesus was probably traveling with, with a group of, uh, 100, 200 people, um, who were his, who were part of this larger group of his disciples. And it's in this passage that we see Jesus sort of, uh, uh, starting to use these people to, for, for the furtherance of the ministry, uh, and the kingdom. And specifically it says that, that he sends them out. They are supposed to go ahead of him into these places, kind of like an advanced prep team. All right. So they go, what it says is they were going to places that he was about to go to himself. So Jesus is going to come to these towns in the coming weeks. And part of their job is to go and lay the groundwork, both spiritually and and in a lot of ways, logistically, I think, in those towns. And, And so because of all those factors coming together, right, this idea that this is Jesus giving these people, these, these disciples advice on how to go out into the community to tell people about the gospel and prepare them for the coming of Jesus. It's a passage that a lot of times the church throughout history has gone to in terms of trying to uh, glean principles for the missionary endeavor. Okay. What we are supposed to look like, what our hearts are supposed to be like, what our attitudes, sort of best practices in some ways. We look at the way Jesus advises these men to go to these cities and we can glean, um, certain things from that in terms of our own mission and outreach. And so again, it's, it's been kind of a blueprint for missions and, and outreach throughout the centuries. Now you might say to yourself, okay, well, cool, Ash, I don't, I'm not a missionary. Uh, I don't consider myself a missionary. What does this passage have to do with me? Well, obviously, as we talk about all the time, you are a missionary, right? You are at least called. Now, you may not be a countercultural or countercultural, cross-cultural or countercultural missionary. Uh, we're going to need more of those in the coming years. Uh, you, you may not be a cross-cultural missionary or an international missionary, but we're all called to bring the message of God to uh, our families, to our neighbors, to our communities, and yes, even to the entire world as we go. We're all disciple makers. We talk about that uh, a good bit here. And in fact, I think the case is, is that's exactly the point of Jesus sending out the 72. So if you remember, Jesus, a a very similar passage to this was at the beginning of chapter 9, where Jesus sent the 12 out. And he sent them out for kind of the same kind of reason, to go out and to heal and to tell the good news and to cast out demons and, and do these things. And now here in chapter 72, he's sending out this larger group. And I think that that the point of that is is that very issue of, of that tendency on our part is to say, well, it's not my job, that, that God has these special people that he's called for these things, right? He's called pastors to do this. He's called people who are just skilled in evangelism or something like that. He's called these brave people who go to other countries and, 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 uh, you know, learn a language and enter into a foreign culture. He's called these, these next level people like the 12 to go do this stuff. And I'm not one of those people. I'm just, I'm just a normal Christian. But again, I think that's part of the point of the focusing on in the 72. Who are these 72 people? 
We don't know. We don't know a single one of their names, right? We don't know who these people are. And yet they are people who God is calling, giving the responsibility of taking the gospel to the communities and making disciples. And so that's exactly what he gets into in chapter in verse 2. That's exactly the point that he makes in verse 2. What does he say in verse 2? He says, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the work workers or the laborers are few. That's the issue. We have a tendency to think this is the job of the 12. They should be the ones who go do these things. And Jesus is saying, no, there's way too much work to be done for just the 12 to do it. Just the official disciples, just the, the ordained ministry, just the diaconal ministry or something like that to do it. No, we need lots more people. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. There are lots of folks out there who will come to Christ. Lots of people will believe the message of the gospel and come to him. The problem is there's not enough people taking the gospel to those people. There's not enough harvesters in the fields to bring in the harvest, right? And I think that's the opposite of the way that we usually think about it. It's the opposite of the way we feel about many times our neighbors and our coworkers and things like that. On the contrary, we say, man, they don't want to hear this. They're, they don't care about these things. They're not interested in, in Jesus. They're not interested in faith. They're not interested in the church. I'm not going to talk to them about these things because they probably don't care and they're probably not going to listen and they're probably not interested. Jesus has says the opposite. Jesus says there's a plentiful harvest out there. There is a huge harvest that is waiting to be brought in. We just need the workers to go bring those things in. And so the answer is, so then what does that, that, what does that challenge us to? Well, does that mean that we go or, or, or I as a pastor come and, and badger you guys and be like, look, you need to be getting out and sharing your face with your neighbors more and, and trying to guilt trip you into something? And I can, I can say that's not the way it works, okay, because I've tried that uh, before. Um, that's, I've, at Mother Church, one of my roles for years, my title has been Minister of Youth and Outreach. All right. And so there for years, we would, we would run these different kinds of evangelistic programs, right? And we would get up and we would try to encourage people to, to be a part of it. And certain people would and certain people wouldn't. And it seemed to be the case that the people who would were always the people who tended to have a heart for those things. And there were certain people who that just wasn't on their radar. All right. And so think about what Jesus calls us to do here. He says, the problem is there's not enough workers. So what should you do? You should pray to God that he would send workers into the harvest, that you would ask God that he would change people's hearts so that they would be more concerned about these things, take more responsibility for those things, go out into the, do, to the world, share the faith and draw people in. Okay. And so, um, praying earnestly, he says that the Lord would send people into the harvest. So the question I might ask you today is, are you being obedient to that? There, that's a concrete challenge that Jesus has given us right there. He said, pray for workers to be sent into the harvest. Certainly there's, there's the other side of it, asking ourselves, are we supposed to be those workers who go into the harvest? And the answer is certainly yes, but Jesus here is not directly focused on that in some ways, right? He just says, I want you to pray that God would send people into the harvest. And I'll bet as we pray those prayers, not only will God answer them in the lives of other people, but I'll bet he'll start to change our own hearts at the same time. However, just because the, the 
harvest is plentiful does not mean that the harvest is necessarily an easy process. So what does he say in verse 3? And again, thinking about these as, as advice, as blueprints, as best practices, as warnings, as preparation for those who are going to go sharing the gospel in these other towns. He says, go your way in verse 3, and behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So we talked last week, or two weeks ago, which one was it? About Hawaii and Afghanistan, right? There's this, there's this thing. What's Jesus saying again? Expect Afghanistan. You're a lamb and you are going in amidst wolves. There's going to be pushback to this mission. There's going to be rejection. There's yes, even going to be danger to it, right? A, 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 a lamb amidst wolves is not just uncomfortable. A lamb in the midst of wolves is in danger. He is vulnerable. There's the possibility that injury could come. Even their life could be taken. And so Jesus is, is reminding them of the, of the reality of this. We need more people to go out, but that is not going to be a necessarily easy process. By the way, because it's not going to be an easy process, notice what we kind of skipped over in the very first passage. It says that Jesus sends the disciples out how? He sends them out two by two. They always go out with somebody else with them. And there's all kinds of wisdom to that. There's all kinds of wisdom for that in us, for us, as we try to reach out to our neighborhoods, as we, as we, you know, uh, start ministries and are, and are working together for different ministries and stuff. Um, it's incredible the support that really just one other person who you can count on can give to you in these things. One other person who is willing to come alongside you and be a part of this and be there for you. It's, a, it's amazing what a big difference that makes in people's lives. And so my obligatory Lord of the Rings reference, right? It's, it's Sam and Frodo. Okay. And how many times in both the book and the movies does, is there reference to this friendship reference to the importance of the fact that, that it's, it's good. And, and Frodo is glad that Sam is there with him to be an encouragement, to be a helper, to, 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 to come alongside of him and all these things. And, and we can think of any number of ways that that works out, right? For support and encouragement, certainly. Uh, you know what another important thing is, is, is the accountability that comes along with somebody standing next to you, even critique sometimes, right? If, if, if you're just going out into the world and, and, and doing your own thing in the best way you see fit, it may be the case that you've got some blind spots and you're, and you're making a mess of it and you need somebody else there who can say, maybe you should dial it back a little bit or, or maybe you should turn it up a little bit or whatever. Um, it provides for our weaknesses, right? It provides somebody to come along and make up for the ways that we lack to bring different gifts uh, and different strengths into the situation. And so it's going to be difficult. We're not saying any of this stuff ought to be easy. If you're sort of saying, man, it's so uncomfortable to, to go out there and to put myself out there uh, as someone who is trying to, to draw in the harvest, as someone who's trying to make disciples, as somebody who's trying to evangelize the lost. It's so uncomfortable. And the answer is, yeah, it's going to be. That's the way this works. Uh, and it's helpful if you can take somebody with you and have that encouragement. In fact, that's what we're supposed to be as a church in general. Then Jesus says something else. And we heard this with the, when he sent the 12 out, right? Verse four, carry no money bag, no knapsacks, no sandals or no extra sandals. So he said this to the, the 12 disciples in chapter nine, 
Uh, and we talked about it then briefly, but Jesus is again basically saying, don't worry as you go on these missions, I'll provide for you. I want you to trust in me and then step out on faith that I will give you what you need in the time that you get there. It's an exercise of obedience. It's an exercise of faith and trust um, for the disciples. Now, here's something interesting about this passage, and we're going to get to it way on down the line, but at the end of Luke's gospel, he makes another reference to this passage. He makes a reference to it when they are in the Garden of Gethsemane, literally right before Jesus is portrayed by Judas and, and the soldiers show up. Jesus references that the whole point of this exercise was about the fact to, to demonstrate that he uh, was going to provide for him. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 35, Jesus says to them, when I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing, right? And so, so that's pointing to the fact he's saying, you remember when I did that? You remember the lesson you learned from that, that you're not going to lack anything. I'm going to be there to provide for you. Jesus took care of them. What's also interesting in that passage is that in the very next line, verse 36, Jesus contradicts that saying. He goes back on it. So look at verse, if you turn there, Luke twenty-two thirty-six, 36, or you can just listen as I read it. Jesus says, I told you then to go without money or sandals or, or knapsack, but now whoever has a money belt should take it along and likewise also his back. So what's he, what's going on there? Why does he tell the 72 and the 12, don't take anything extra, I'll provide for you. But then now we are here at the end and he now says, actually, now's the time you need to take, you need to bring extra money and you need to bring extra stuff and be prepared. Which is it? Is it trusting God that he's going to provide everything or is it faithfully plan and prepare beforehand for ministry? And the answer is yes. Right? It's, it's both of those things. The reason why Jesus doesn't talk in that context with the 12 and the 72 is because he's trying to teach them a specific lesson, right? But I think the case is, is that he's saying that the reason why he sort of goes back on it, and he doesn't go back on it, but he adds to it in chapter 22 is he's saying, but listen, folks, I'm not telling you for the rest of all eternity to just always be unprepared and fly by the seat of your pants and hope it all works out, okay? That's not what I'm calling you to do when I'm saying, trust me. I'm saying, no, prepare. Okay, be ready for these things, plan ahead, um, strategize, do all that stuff, but also trust that I'm going to take care of things as they come. And so I, it's, it's a it's a it's a quote that I, I say a lot um, when in, when talking about these kind of issues. It's, it's one of my favorite things from John Wesley. And he says, work like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on God. And I think that's kind of what happens in the balance of this passage. We say we're trusting in Jesus to do these things and to provide and to make a way. And also we're going to work really hard um, and and we're going to do our best to be ready for the challenges that are coming ahead. There's a whole nother piece there where he talks about if you don't have a sword, go buy one. And you're like, what's that about, Ash? And the answer is we're going to talk about it in like two years when we get to that passage. Okay, we're just it's a whole nother thing to get into right now. Um, uh, probably by then you won't even be able to buy a gun in this country. So it'll be fine. So that was, a, that was a, that was a jab and that was a low blow. So, um, anyway, so we'll talk about it in, 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 when we get there, it probably won't be two years. It won't be that long. So, um, but right now, again, Jesus wants them to experience this situation where they have to trust in him. 
so that he will provide for them. And watch what God does in these situations. Then right after that, Jesus gives this other command. And again, each of these commands are not generic. They're, they're teaching us something about the way we go to the world. And Jesus says something kind of weird, greet no one on the road. Don't stop and talk to anybody while you're doing this. Now, that seems weird in and of itself, right? Is he asking us to be rude or oblivious to these people? No, he's, he's talking about single-mindedness. He's talking about uh, a singular vision, a singular focus when we're on this mission, right? We know that there are any number of things, tons of things that distract us on a daily basis when it comes to the mortification of sin in our life. So we're talking about book study as, as the mission of God, as we go out and share um, the faith, as we try to find ways that we can serve other people, man, there's any number of things that distract us from that. And so what does Jesus say? He says, don't stop. Don't get sidetracked. Don't be going on a mission and you've got to get to this town and prepare my, for my coming. And then you stop along the way and you meet a guy and you go to his house and you have a party and you do whatever. Like you can't do that. You have to be focused on this. It's easy to get sidetracked. Something I've noticed in, in my, in my reading. Okay. And so whether it's scripture reading or, or in, in particular book reading. So you guys know I like books. I'm a big reader. I think you should be a reader. Everybody should be a reader, right? And one of the, the things that I learned along the way was it's helpful to keep track of your reading. And so I, I nerd out and I make a graph and I have like a thing where I keep track of how many pages I've read on what days and from what books. And, and all those kind of things, okay? And I'm not saying you have to do that, but it's been helpful for me to kind of plan my reading and think ahead and engage stuff, right? Well, here's something that interesting that happens every year is as I'm looking on my graphed out um, reading paper, I look back and all of a sudden I'll go, in my heart, I go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm reading pretty often. I've, I've read a decent amount over the last few days or last few weeks or something like that. Certainly over the last few months, I've read a good bit. And then I go back and I look at my chart and I haven't. Like there are times where I go five, six, two months, three months, and there's not been any substantive kind of reading that I've done. And I try to read a lot. I mean, it's just something I, I want to do. But, but I, but in my heart, I feel like, yeah, I'm doing fine. Like, yeah, I haven't been reading as much lately, but I'm still doing a, a lot. The answer is I'm not. I haven't been reading, reading anything over this period of time or whatever. And, and why I share that illustration is because I always feel like it's not the case. I always think, I feel like I've been reading a lot. We do the same thing with ministry. We do, we say, man, I feel like I've been pretty faithful in these things or whatever. But when we actually graph it, when we actually measure it, we start recognizing, actually, I'm not doing as well as I think I am. Same thing happens, uh, in Sunday school classes and stuff like that, attendance, things like that, church attendance. You ask somebody, how many times have you been to church in the last two months? Oh, yeah, like three out of four Sundays, I think, probably. And then you're like, here's the role. You've been once, you know, or whatever. No, that can't be right. That can't. Be. I was just here a couple of weeks ago. That was two months ago. You know, we always do that. It's easy to get sidetracked. And it's easy to feel like we're not sidetracked even when we are sidetracked. So what does Jesus say? He's, he's almost sort of blatant in it. And it seems a little gruff. Greet no one. You walk by somebody on the road, don't stop to say hello. How's the weather? Nothing. You keep going. Because we've got to stay focused when it comes to being a disciple. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. 
And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. So that, that language there is kind of odd. It's not the kind of way that we usually talk and those, those phrases are a little foreign. When he talks about this peace be with you, this peace, uh, the peace of yours be on you, he is talking about pronouncing a blessing on these people. He's, he's, he's saying that as servants of God, as agents of God, you are asking for God to bless this household because they have welcomed you into it. And so that, that blessing could entail any number of things. We see examples of it in the Old Testament. There's a story where the Ark of the Covenant, you remember when it was almost dropped, and David says, man, I don't want to have anything to do with this Ark anymore because the man who tried to catch it was struck dead. I don't want to have anything to do with it. The Ark is then taken by another man and put in his house for a short amount of time. The Bible says God blessed that house. He blessed that man's belongings and his household and his, his crops were good and his, and his, and his livestock were good or whatever. There was a special blessing of God because of his willingness to take on the responsibility of putting the ark in his house until it could go to where it was supposed to go. The same thing is kind of happening here. When, when these people of peace who are out there, they, when they welcome the disciples into their homes to provide for them, the disciples are supposed to pronounce a blessing on it. And that's, again, it's not like like we think about this and, and we go, oh, yeah, you pronounce a blessing on somebody. It's kind of like what we really mean is thank you. Like if something happens and I'm like, God bless you, like what I really mean is, oh, thanks, you know. But that's not what's going on here. There is an actual asking God to be favorable to the person in that house. And he says, if these people welcome you, your blessing will rest on it. And if these people reject you, your blessing will come back to you and you'll go on to the next place. And that blessing is there because there's going to be um, unique costs, you could say, um, for that person. Unique um, sacrifices they're going to have to make to take care of the disciples. And so these so-called sons of peace are, are the person of peace that you meet. Um, because of their willingness and hospitality, God is going to do something special for them. But again, there's going to be special sacrifices there too. So that person of peace bears this responsibility for the hospitality to these two uh, missionaries. Incidentally, this is a principle that they talk about going when we go into foreign missionary contexts, okay? Um, or really when we go and do anything here. So let's say you had to, whether you're going to a village of, of people that don't speak your language and you don't know them in any way, or you're going over to a local uh, community um, and trying to do outreach in a local community in, in Blount County, okay? There's this idea of saying, find a person of peace in that community. They don't have to be a believer. There may not be any believers in that community, but find someone who is friendly, who is willing to vouch for you, to let you come in. Um, we did missionary work up in, in, in Appalachian, Kentucky at one time, and, and there was a community that was notorious for, for drug use and prostitution and all these different things. And the team, uh, as they went door to door and talked to people, they found a grandma there. And the grandma was trying to raise her two kids and she had been involved in church previously, but wasn't, hadn't been lately. And she kind of said, Hey, you know what? I can talk to people and we can make sure you get to use the local pavilion and the, and, and these things. And all of a sudden she became their point person. Um, if I remember right later on, that lady actually confessed that she, she came to Christ. She thought she was a believer because she kind of been raised in the church a little bit, but, but the gospel was preached to her and she, and she realized she wasn't a believer. But she was that person of peace. She was a person who they could sort of say, you're our connection here, and and we're going to lean into that. 
And God's going to bless you for it. But it's also probably going to cost you some things. And so verse 7, it says, remain in that same house, disciples, eating and drinking what they provide. So the cost is, is that those 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 people showing hospitality, they're going to be responsible for the food and the shelter um, of, of those disciples, but also the accompanying blessing that comes with it. And the missionaries shouldn't feel like they're being a burden, which we always do, right? I feel like a burden anytime anybody does anything good for me, okay? Anybody does anything nice for me. Like if somebody walks up and it's like, hey, Ash, I made you this jar of jelly when I made a million other jars of jelly. I'm like, please, no, don't. I, I You know, it, you shouldn't have done that, right? Um, I always feel that way, and we feel that way. You feel like you're being a burden, but Jesus says, don't feel like a burden. You're there on God's mission. You are there doing his work, and the laborer is worthy of his wages, okay? He, he, you're, you're, it's, you're doing something that is important, and God is providing for you through these people of peace, is blessing them, so just let them do it, okay? Take what they give um, and be thankful for the hospitality that they're showing. But also then notice, it's also incumbent upon the missionaries to be content and to be thankful for what God has provided through these people. So what does he say? Uh, the last part of seven and eight, do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So what's, what's going on there? Well, he's, he's saying it may be the case that you enter into a town and that person of peace is a, is a poor person. And that poor person welcomes you into their house and, and their provisions are, are simple and meager. Um, and that's all you have. And so what does God say? He says, be thankful for that. This is what I provided. Stay in that house and, and be there. It may be the case that you come in and a rich person is the person of peace. And then you've got rich food and sumptuous and plentiful food or whatever. But it's not for the disciples to be seeking a better situation. They are supposed to be content and thankful with what God has provided. Because if you think about it, what would it look like if this poor man has welcomed these people into his home, and then as soon as you have an opportunity to move up to the next better house, you leave, what are you really doing? You're dishonoring that poor man for showing hospitality, right? He's stepped out and and, and done this in a hospitable way, and you're actually sort of shaming him for it because... Because you're not, he's not, um, he doesn't have as much as, as the next guy down the street. So you say, well, Ash, what is that? What's, what's the point there? What is, what is the piece that, that is there for us to, to understand on that? Well, in, in general, um, I think it's a principle for us not to always be seeking the next better situation, especially for ministers. Now, again, you might say, we're, we're, I'm, I'm sort of applying this to all you guys, right? I'm saying we're all missionaries and disciples, right? So I'm applying it to everybody. But man, I think it's particularly a word to pastors, okay? Um, I think and it's, there's, there's something, there's a problem in the church. It has been for a long time with this very situation. I'm not saying that God can't call you to another place. I'm not saying that he won't. I'm not saying that your giftings may not warrant the fact that you go on to greater responsibilities. The key is though, is that we have to be very attentive to what our hearts are doing. Okay. Because we can trick ourselves into all kinds of things. Uh, ambition and advancement are tricky things in the Christian life. Okay. And sometimes God can use them as blessings. And sometimes we can seek those things out in an 
in, in a way that is unfaithful. Okay. And so I've got, a, I've got a friend in, in the ministry who makes that very comment. And he talked about the fact he's a, he's an older man, um, closer to retirement in ministry than, than not. And, and he said to me one time, he said, so how long have you been in one county? And I said, I've been a youth pastor at this church for 15 years. And then now I'm also doing this, this church plant thing. And he said, man, that's awesome. I wish I had done that. Instead, what I did is about every three to four years, I found a church that would pay me a little bit more and, and had a little bit congregation. And I went to the next one. And he said, and the long-term effects of that was that my children were never rooted in anything, that I was never rooted in a community, that I had sort of a bag of tricks that I, I did at every church and then I moved on to the next one, always seeking after. And, you know, he didn't do it like just greedily. He thought this is what's normal. This is the way I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be seeking better opportunities. But in hindsight, he says, you know what I wish? I wish I'd just planted. I wish I'd just found some place and ministered there for 40 years and then died. Um, that's what I wish had happened. And the guys that I, I appreciate in ministry are those very guys, right? And again, I'm not saying it's wrong um, necessarily that somebody is calling. You just have to pay attention to your own heart in these things. And again, we have to pay attention as we are serving in ministry. Do you look at the jobs and the things that are necessary for a church to function, to serve a community and kind of go, well, I want the glamorous stuff, right? I don't want the stuff that makes me look cool and the newspapers writing about and, and that I won't get my hands too dirty. Um, and, and if I'm getting my hands dirty now, I'm going to try to get to the point where I'm not. That's not the attitude that we should have in our hearts. Be content with where God has put you. Doesn't mean that he won't use you in other ways at some point. Um, but watch your heart in all these things. And so he closes, or at least the way we're going to close it, he goes on and talks about what you should do in the case of rejection. And we're going to have a whole sermon on that. Okay, we're going to talk about that next week. Um, but we're going to end in, on verse nine, and it's a good it's a good place to just remind ourselves. What does he say? He says, "Go out in these villages, heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Heal the sick, and say the kingdom of God has come near to you." Right? That's what we're here to do. It's easy to start thinking about all the different things that we could do as a church the ways that we could minister. And obviously this is pretty broad even still. Healing the sick, what kind of sick? Well, all kinds of sick. We can talk about spiritual sickness. We can talk about physical sickness. We can talk about uh, community sickness. We can, there's lots of ways to heal the sick, okay? And so it's still pretty broad. But we are people who are there to serve and to help. And we are people there to pronounce the kingdom, right? To declare the kingdom, to say the kingdom of God has come near um, in the person of Jesus Christ, in the gospel, and, and invite people to welcome Jesus into your life. That's what our dis job is as disciple makers. That's what our job is as every single one of us as missionaries as we go out into our community communities. And so what I want to do is as we close tonight, as we go before the Lord in prayer, I want you to think about each one of these kind of clauses, each one of these passages, and think about how that relates to the way you go into your community. Right? There may have been one of those that kind of stuck with you and you said, you know what, that's an issue that I have, right? There's a, there's something there that, that whatever, right? I'm, I'm, I'm too fearful to go, um, or I don't have anybody to go with, um, or, or I'm too proud to do certain kinds of things. And there may have been something there that God tweaked your, your conscience with as we went. But what I would ask you to do is as we go to the Lord in prayer, just to think in those terms. Ask God to show you the ways that, that you need to, to shift in terms of being a disciple maker, 
Um, what steps do you need to take to step out to be the kind of person and to live according to these, these, these practical principles that we see uh, in this passage? So let's go to the Lord in prayer and just take a few minutes to do that. And then I'm going to have uh, Stephen and uh, Amy and Katie um, come back up and they're going to um, close us in worship. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we as we uh, look at this passage and think about its implications for what you are teaching us, what you are showing us about what it means to to be not only disciples, followers, um, but also to be those who are going out and making disciples, those who are calling others to uh, your Son Jesus Christ. God, as we look at each one of these these clauses in this passage, we see the wisdom um, of of the process of going out into the world, God, we ask that you would uh, sharpen our hearts with these things. God, that you would um, give us a, a wise self-reflectiveness um, about the ways in which um, we have lived faithfully in these things. God, are the ways that we are um, living in in rebellion or, or in ignorance, um, God, or in irresponsibility. Uh, Father, we know you have called us. Perhaps the, the the primary calling, you have called us to be disciple makers. Um, we want to be those people. We want to be like the 12. We want to be like the 72 who are going to the towns, preparing people for the coming of Jesus. God, help us to do that wisely and faithfully. We ask these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. All right, church, let's stand together and worship with a uh, worship the king. I see what I did. Worship the king, our glorious above, and gratefully sing his wonderful love. I share. The ancient of days, the building in splendor and girded with praise. Tell his might, oh tell his might, oh sing of his praise, whose world is the light, whose canopy space, whose chairs around the deep thunder clouds form. Dark is his path on the wings of the storm. You alone, you alone are the matchless king. To you alone be all majesty. Your glories and wonders, what tongue can recite? 
You breathe in the air. You shine in the light. Oh, measureless might, ineffable love, while angels delight to worship above. Let's close it out with you alone. You alone are the matchless king, and you alone be all majesty. Your glories and wonders, what some can decide, you breathe in the air. Amen. Amen. Good to see you tonight. Glad you were here. Um, I hope you'll take these things with you um, as we go out and, and minister and, and share with our neighbors and our coworkers and our families. Um, uh, thank you. Um, so the deal is, is, is Cheeto's under the weather. He's pretty sick, actually. Um, and so uh, you can pray for Cheeto and just that he would heal. He's got some kind of stomach something, maybe food poisoning. Don't know, but he's been he's been really sick all day. And so uh, Stephen was was gracious and and ready to step in and and help us. And then he brought Katie along, and Katie is one of his uh, friends and colleagues at Clayton Bradley. Teaches music, right? Yeah. And uh, and so she came along and served. Um, and, and so we're thankful for that too. Also, Amy, always thank you. Um, thank you guys for kind of figuring this thing out spur of the moment. Um, but let me, let me close this in this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.